The Crux of the Matter, Episode 41, Halloween and Reformation. Hello and welcome to The Crux of the Matter, the show by pastors, for pastors. My name is Pastor Todd Peppercorn. And this is Professor Scott Stigmeyer. How are you today, Scott? I'm doing just fine. Um, just a little weary, but that's that's okay. It's yep. a good tired. Yep, a good tired is all right. Yeah, we have the uh, strange event of having an overcast day. Haven't seen one of those in about, a, I don't know, a year. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's no, okay. It's a, it's, it's a little overcast here, too. We're getting some of that as well. Hmm. Who knows? Maybe that's the leftover from that hurricane that went through last week or something. I don't know. Weather is not my spiritual gift, neither creating no. nor observing. Well, I guess I can observe it. No. Anyway, so what are you teaching this week, Scott? Anything uh, anything interesting and exciting, revolutionizing the world? No, not revolutionizing the world. In my doctrine class, we're covering sanctification. So that's always fun. That's a good topic. Sure. Um, oh, Absolutely. We're talking about the role of good works in the life of the Christian. And as I've mentioned before, um, a lot of the students are not Lutheran. Some aren't Christian um, and have told me that or, or, you know, I'm aware of that. Some of them, though, are Christian in from some, you know, any variety of backgrounds. Right. And so this this whole question of the role of good works in the life of the Christian has come up and you know, is, is a big deal in, in terms of misunderstandings and whatnot. And I encountered yesterday a student who told me that um, she was from – she grew up in the Nazarene church. And are you familiar with the Nazarene sure, church at all? Sure, Kind of the holiness branch of uh, Methodism, came out of Methodism. Yeah, they're Wesleyan and have, um, you know, a big holiness emphasis. Well, one of their distinctive doctrines, at least I think it's fairly distinctive, is that a person in this life can reach total sanctification. In other words, you can you can reach a point where you don't sin anymore hmm. in this in this lifetime, and they actually teach this. And I knew that because I'm from Kansas City, Missouri, which is where their headquarters is. Gotcha. And so I grew up kind of knowing Nazarene people. And um, uh, so anyway, there was a student in my class who said that she'd been involved in a Nazarene church, and how the emphasis was on becoming sinless, being getting to the point. And there were people that said that they'd reached that point where they didn't commit sins anymore. And, and she, she left the church, it be, you know, she just felt beaten up by it. She left the church entirely, but it was really kind of interesting. And it got an opportunity to talk about the proper distinction between law and gospel and to talk, talk about the proper understanding of the role of good works and sanctification. So, you know, it's, it's teaching, but I still have my pastor hat on gotcha. all the time and that's kind of, kind of fun. Yeah, right? that's good. Well, we had a um, uh, this morning a Bible class. We did the uh, uh, we talked about genealogies because we did Genesis chapter five. So you kind of get at all of these uh, these ten generations between Adam and Noah, and uh, and and it, it's amazing how in a fairly benign list of genealogies, what kind of questions can can come out, can come up. Um, one of the more interesting questions and all right, maybe interesting is the wrong word, obscure questions was um, uh, I think that there's someone there in the list, Mahalalel and um, Mahalalel. And, uh, and so we got into a, a rabbit hole of 
of uh, whether or not this uh, Mahalalel was related to Kalel and whether Superman is in the genealogies. And, and of course, the uh, creator of Superman was Jewish. Oh yeah, and uh, and so a lot of the uh, a lot of the mythology behind Superman has some some really interesting language behind it. So um, that was sort of our rabbit hole for this morning. It was oh, kind that's of fun. That, that's a lot of fun. Yeah, it is fun. I mean, there's it's no question. It's been much much remarked upon that the creators of Superman were a couple of Jewish young men, and they brought in some Hebrewism Hebrewisms into. Uh, I mean, that's not a that's not a coincidence. Nope, not at it's all. Intentional. Yeah. Yeah, right. quite intentional. So that was a, uh, so that was the fun rabbit hole of the morning is uh, Superman and Methuselah. So what can you All do? All right, awesome, awesome. Well, we have a couple uh, couple fun topics for this morning. It being Reformation Week, at least more or less. Uh, we thought we'd talk about uh, kind of the uh, the secular holiday of Halloween, and then the uh, and then the church's remembrance of Reformation. And uh, and so so let's start about uh, start on Halloween. Uh, where do you, where should we go, Scott? Start us off. Well, what do you say to parishioners who, or do you have parishioners who ever ask about the appropriateness of some of the Halloween practices? It might not be something that comes up that much anymore. I w- I've occasionally had that occur. Only every year. So is it right? Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, it comes up every year for you. Yep. Yeah. So, so people do wonder, Christians do kind of wonder, is this dabbling in the occult? If we take our kids trick or treating, is there any kind of alternative? Should we be, should the church be offering an alternative fall program right? Uh, or doing some kind of thing? And sometimes those concerns are safety oriented. You know, is it safe to take food from, right? Uh, from all these unknown people, these strangers. Um, and so sometimes churches will have like a trick or treating substitute in their parking lot, or I've heard of trunk or treat. Right. Right. Or, um, you know, you might do some kind of a fall festival party where people can still wear costumes and, and do something fun. Right. Bob for apples. We did a yeah, costume so party at that, our Oktoberfest, for example. Oh, did you really? Yeah. So that's, yeah. That so it was sort of the uh, Halloween warm up, I guess. Gotcha. Gotcha. And and really, the modern version of Halloween is as much uh, celebrated by adults as it is by children. Yeah. Uh, the whole co- wearing of costumes, I think I read a statistic that said that 60% of all Halloween costumes are sold to adults. <laughs> um, so, you know, I mean, people do still like to dress up. And, and it's, I think for a lot of people, it's nostalgic to remember what it was like as a kid to go out. And, uh, you know, get all the candy and, and wear some kind of a costume and have fun with your neighbor kids. But, um, you know, what do you think? I mean, is there any any aspect? Is, is it tainted? Is it completely tainted uh, by the fact that it, it, you know, at least in its modern expression, a lot of times people do, um, you know, at least walk around the verge of occultism, um, occult people that are. Uh, Wiccans, for instance, actually do kind of consider this a religious festival for themselves in all seriousness. And um, I don't know. Do you think that yeah, pollutes it? I guess that my my approach to it has been I'm much less concerned about, about um, Wiccans and the occult than I am the cult of materialism. Um, sure. That the, the likelihood of – of this, this is sort of the uh, 
This is sort of the advent of the Christmas shopping season. This is the beginning of the holy season of spending money. And I, and to my way of thinking, at least, it is more likely that I'm going to have that, that we're going to be tempted by kind of the accumulation of stuff than, than any sort of occult whatever. That's, that's kind of my gut, my gut reaction is that I don't, I, I've, I've never seen or experienced, frankly, uh, kind of some deep, dark, occult sort of weirdness around Halloween. Obviously, there is a, there is an attempt to make that the case. You know, you look at, look at movies and horror movies. How many horror movies have been centered around Halloween or variants of that? Um, all of that kind of stuff. So certainly there's something behind that, but, but that has never really, that I, I just don't buy it. I just don't. Um, and, and of course, Halloween, maybe you know more about this than I do, Scott, but Halloween is really, this is the eve of, of All Saints Day. And as I remember it, the practice of, of, uh, of dressing up in these satanic costumes, et cetera, really stemmed from the desire to mock Satan, not a desire to become Satan. And so I think you could make the argument that, that, uh, that dressing up as a big scary demon is actually, uh, Mocking Satan, not not um, a comp, not intended as a compliment at all. But again, I I don't know. It's just hard for me to take it take that too seriously. And and I know that there are more than a few Christians that that really see Halloween as like a major theological problem that needs to be that needs to be addressed, and that we and that we shouldn't be doing it. And, and, and you and I have talked a little bit on here about, about the imagination too. I wonder sometimes if some of the criticism and fear about Halloween dressing up and all of that kind of stuff really stems from this, this kind of different or reformed understanding of the imagination. Do you, do you think there's anything to that, Scott? I do. I think that there's a distrust of the imagination within the evangelical world. Um, and I, and I think you're right I, in terms of the origins of the wearing of costumes and so forth. I got to tell you that every every source that I've looked at has a different theory. So hmm. my conclusion is that is that we really aren't sure what what came first or or you know it, it does seem as if uh, the wearing of of masks um, on this occasion does have pagan origins. And so the question then is. As does thing, as do things like jack o' lanterns and and so forth. Um, so then the question becomes, what about the Christianization of some of these pagan practices? Right. Which is kind of what I think. That, that's my opinion. I'm not a scholar who studied this in some kind of real a- academic way, but from what I have read about it, I think that probably the Christian Church uh, developed or adopted some of these folk ways and and just sort of Christianized them. Um, and, and some of them, some of them were practices like the going from door to door and asking for food. Um, some people say that that was some kind of a pagan thing, but you know what? I, I know that children going at nat begging for food and singing or song or giving a rhyme, uh, is, is, is definitely found in Christendom is right. definitely found in the middle ages. Um, and, and 
the idea of doing it on a special church holiday makes a lot of sense sure. because you, you think on a church holiday, people are going to be more prone to be generous. And, and All Saints Day is a, is, is a perfect example of that, I yeah. think. All right. have you, so have you, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say to me what I think the theological question is, and, and it doesn't trouble me a great deal, but I know it does trouble some Christians, is the theological question is, are these practices, are some of these practices tainted by their association uh, in either in the popular mindset with occultism or in their past pagan origins? And, uh, you know, I think it's a fair question. I, and I think that it's not necessarily an easy answer. It's not just a yes or no answer. So, um, I've kind of developed a theory over the, over the years on how to address that. Hmm. Yeah, I can I can see that. Have you ever heard of uh, Fashing Fest? Does that name ring a bell with you? No. Fashing is is the is the German or Northern European uh, pre Lent festival. So you know we know it uh, in English kind of English background as Shrove Tuesday um, or Mardi Gras in uh, in French and and uh, in Germany. Uh, Fashing is this kind of season, almost a, maybe a week. I'm going to guess something like that prior to prior to Ash Wednesday, where everybody everybody dresses up. You've got these these really kind of bizarre wooden masks, all kinds of stuff. I was actually in Germany with my wife Catherine six seven years ago during Fashing. and so we got to see some of these things. And this is all adults. This is not kids at all. Um, and so the uh, my point simply being that the the practice of of dressing up and um revelry is not uh is not limited to to Halloween but that often centers around shifts in the church year i mean fashing is is mm-hmm. really around uh ash wednesday and the shift toward this penitential season um at one point and, and i don't know this this is this is pious peppercorn speculation here um at one point advent for example really lasted more like 7 or 8 weeks than it did uh than it did the 4 weeks that we typically have and i wonder if some of the some of the early stuff that we get with Halloween practices really stems from that pre-penitential season, end of the church year, pre-penitential season uh, stuff when Advent was kind of extended and Advent is a penitential season too. That might be an interesting uh, realm of study. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you might be right. I think uh, I suspect that there's probably a number of things that are lie behind some of these practices, uh, some of these customs and not just sort of one thing, you know, and 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 the Christians did do things, you know, that that pagans did and, you know, weren't necessarily invested with pagan meaning. Right. To me, this goes back to the New Testament with the question of is it okay to eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols? Right. The whole question of is this meat, which is perfectly fine in itself, is it somehow so spiritually tainted by its association with pagan practices that Christians shouldn't indulge in it, shouldn't buy it, shouldn't eat it? Right. And I think St. Paul's answer to that is the same kind of answer we should take 
towards a lot of the things with Halloween, that if, if you've got people who are truly invested in paganism, neo-paganism, then you probably do want to withdraw from some of the practices. But if you're talking about secular America, I think that w- where the whole pagan meaning has been lost, then I think that, you know, it's just, it's just candy and it's just a costume. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. We, uh, we do, we do have a tendency to make things more, um, make things more significant than they really are and to uh and to forget the important events along along the way and so you know it is rather curious for example that uh halloween gets a whole lot more press than the reformation ever will i mean that's just oh yeah that's just definitely the the case do you like that segue from going from halloween to reformation there so, yeah, that was good. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I think that a part of why Lutherans may, um, may get testy about all of the Halloween stuff is that we feel like this is, um, you know, that this is sort of our Independence Day and that, and that you people are, uh, are messing up our Independence Day with all of this other stuff, basically. Yeah, I, d- I definitely have felt that way, you know, that it seems kind of unfortunate that even in our congregations, uh, that the, for what, what October 31st means primarily is Halloween. And then, oh, yeah, yeah, it's somehow associated with the Lutheran church's origin and so on. Right. Um, that I, I, I'd be lying if I said I didn't resent that a little yeah, bit. Yeah. It, it, it's a source of, uh, it's a source of irritant. Uh, it's an irritant. And yet at the same time, I also have to kind of ask myself, really, do I really want to get kind of, is this worth being curmudgeonly about? There's so many things as a Lutheran pastor that I'm, that I'm tempted to be curmudgeonly about. And, and Halloween just, it's just really low on my list of curmudgeonness. It really is. And, uh, and I can find a lot of benefit in, in, in a fost, the fostering of the imagination. So. Absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, if we're talking about doing something at a Halloween party like a seance or a Ouija board, um, if, if these kind of things – and I think that that's not far-fetched to no. think that a, at a Halloween party someone might propose that uh, or fortune-telling of some kind, then I think you're, you're crossing some lines. Yeah. And, and it's danger- – and it can be dangerous um, and like I said, if you're talking to somebody who's actually is in, involved in Wicca or neo-paganism of some kind, it might be a totally different conversation because they're looking at this as a different kind of holiday right, than right. simply a fun event. You know, and I always ask the question, what does Halloween celebrate? You know, I can tell you what any holiday celebrates except this one. Right. <laughs> I don't know. You know, what, what is it that we're celebrating? You, you know, it. it I think it's just, it's just a fun revelry. I don't, you know, I don't, it doesn't have even Arbor Day, you know, has a meaning. <laughs> right. uh, President's Day, you know, every, you know, there's, there, there's nothing that we're celebrating, no event, no single person that we're celebrating with Halloween. And unless you are, unless you are seeing this as a, a, a time to draw up the spirits of the dead and commune with them, then, then it's something I think that you need to stay so far, far so away So let me from. get this straight. So you're suggesting that what we should actually be doing is dressing up as trees and, and just celebrating <laughs> no. Arbor Day. 
<laughs> yeah, let's combine those two things and see what happens. I, I just the rise I, my, the my last point on that. <laughs> right, I'm an end this year and for Halloween. So no, my last comment on this is just to think is that it's just this that there's a lot of things that we do, a lot of folkways, a lot of customs that we do that have pagan origins that we don't find objectionable, and such things as the days of the week, the names of the months. Uh, even a birthday cake with candles on right. it. Uh, all, you know, a lot of these things have pagan origins, and we don't we don't see them as paganized practices because the the that meaning has been essentially lost to them. Right. Uh, a lot of our practice, and so I think Halloween for for probably the majority of kids is just a fun thing. They want to dress up. They want to you know have the thrill of this being scared uh, mildly, and and the candy and the parties and and having fun. I think that's what it is for, for the vast majority of celebrants. So if we ask – so I, I, I agree. Um, and if you uh, disagree with our assessment on Halloween, you can find us at thecruxofthematter.net. The show notes can be found at thecruxofthematter.net slash podcast slash 41. Uh, or you can email us at feedback at thecruxofthematter.net. And uh, thank you to all of those who continue to uh, write us and give us feedback or suggestions along the way there. That's uh, definitely uh, – definitely we appreciate that very much. Um, we kind of have one more sort of subtopic behind this and that is the question of of Reformation because I don't get curmudgeonly about Halloween but I do get curmudgeonly about Reformation, uh, about the celebration of the Reformation or the – the mis-celebration of the Reformation. Um, there are a lot of ways that that Reformation Day kind of really does turn into Independence Day for the Lutheran Church. And, uh, and boy, that just really irritates me. Um, so, so Reformation is kind of an interesting one. Historically, uh, Celebrating the Reformation on October 31st is actually not historically accurate. I don't know if you knew that or not, Scott. Probably did. But no, but no I didn't yeah, tell me about the, it. The celebration of the Reformation on, on October 31st was kind of a 19th century invention. And the, uh, and the intention behind it was really to highlight the common uh, the common Lutheran and Reformed roots of the Reformation, uh, because the the quote unquote birthday of the Lutheran Church prior to that was really August twenty fifth, with the presentation of the Augsburg Confession. Um, it's not in in my reading and background. It's not until the nineteenth century that you start to see October thirty first held as Reformation Day, and I'm pretty sure that that's that that started with the Prussian Union. And with that, with that intention to kind of make this into the uh, the the Protestant Reformation holiday, not a not kind of a Lutheran identity day or whatever you want to whatever you want to call it. So Reformation as a as a historical church event itself has kind of a a, a dubious history at. At best, and and it is interesting because uh, you know you look at at uh, what is the what's the the gospel that that is to do, traditionally or typically used on Reformation is John eight is you know 
when the if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. And you get this lots of lots of freedom language, and it and it and it only is a teeny tiny nudge to turn that into free from the tyranny of uh, of Rome and the and and kind of make it into an independence holiday, and that really bugs me. Am I? Am I, is that just my my uh, my being anti-American, Scott? Or I don't know. No, I don't. I don't think so. I'd not. Uh, to be honest, I'd not really thought of it that way. Um, but I see your point, and and particularly the element of trying to be ecumenical and and and, div- and diminish the Lutheran distinctiveness, and and say, well, we want to have a common celebration. So you push it back to the nailing of the ninety-five theses, which you know the the reformed churches are going to probably be f- perfectly comfortable with celebrating. And I don't know how many do, uh, they, they may, uh, I'm not, I'm not aware. Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know what, I, I didn't know that about the, um, about the shift of emphasis on that date. Yeah. It's an interesting one. Now kind of connected to yeah. that. I remember, uh, when I had my theological interview at the seminary, I had uh, it was really a rather interesting experience. That's always a a, a fun thing for uh, for Fort Wayne guys, at least to uh, to recount. Uh, I had Hank Kadai and Kurt Marquardt were my two. So I so I actually had my theological interview with two Estonians. What are the chances of that? <laughs> and uh, and one of the questions that Marquardt asked was whether the three solas of the Reformation were a sufficient summary of of the reformation and uh and and so i'm you know i'm a fourth year student i'm trying to think so he's asking me this question which i've never thought of or heard about in my life and if i screw this up i'm not going to be a pastor and i'm going to be pumping gas for the rest of my life great so i try <laughs> to think through this and try to put myself into the marquartian mind and uh and 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 i answered no, because it doesn't do the sacraments. And then Marquardt kind of went off on this this whole side thing about how the three solas, while while they were fine in and of themselves, they intentionally left out the sacraments because of the Prussian Union, because of the the desire to make this a a kind of common anti-Roman view. And then he and Kate, I argued about that for 20 minutes while I sat and watched. <laughs> so, so that was kind of fun. But I have, but I have often reflected back on that and just thought, you know, what, what is it? What are we, what are we as Lutherans doing in having a Reformation Sunday? What is the point of Reformation Sunday? You asked about Halloween or Arbor Day. <laughs> What is yeah. the point? What is a Reformation Sunday? What is it? What are we trying to say there? What are we trying to do? I, and, and and I'm not sure that people know a lot of times. I think a lot of people see it as an opportunity to bash Rome, mm-hmm. for one thing. Yep. It's it's an anti-Roman Catholic thing. Um, I don't know. I mean, I uh, – I always put the emphasis, as I'm sure most of our listeners would understand, and, you know, if you're a pastor, you probably do this too, you know, always put the emphasis on the the clarity of the gospel, you know, and just make that the emphasis, not on, it's not about our German heritage, although, 
you know, you can have Oktoberfest and German food, just like everybody's a little bit Irish on St. Patrick's right. Day. I think everybody can be a little bit German on Reformation Day. Sure, sure. And, you know, so, so it's, but it's more than just a heritage or ethnic celebration. Um, you know, I think it's, it's just simply about the clarity of the proclamation of the gospel that, that Luther sort of, I guess, rediscovers and, what that stands for, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not sure that that people have think very deeply about it. I think that they, you know, probably don't even think of it at all until they show up at church right. and then, oh, wonder why the pyramids know, are red. I, I yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 It is, and I have uh, I have thought about that a lot over the years. That if we think of a Reformation Sunday simply as a Oh Lord, I thank thee that I am not like other Christians, <laughs> and and kind of and take, kind of it, take as it as a uh, we are therefore better than you know whoever the bad guys are at the at the given moment, Rome or or other Protestants or Protestants or you know you pick. There is a real temptation to make a Reformation Sunday into a. Uh, into kind of a uh, a self-congratulatory event and that that is really the opposite of what of what you have in the text what you what you have behind uh behind the the whole reformation itself is is that this is not about um it's not about any one group or people being better than anyone else it's precisely the opposite that uh, you know, you think of the Romans, Romans three text of, you know, that we are all silenced before God under the law. Um, so I, I try to, I try to think, of, think in terms of, um, of that this, that the church is always in need of reform. The church is always in need of repentance. And that this is, this is when we as a church, uh, confess our, confess our brokenness and rejoice that God continues to shower his mercy on us. I mean, that's, uh, and maybe that's duh. I don't know. But, uh, but, but I am, I am very leery of making uh reformation Sunday or any, any day into a, uh, uh, into a, a special, you know, we're better than anybody else day. And I, and I think that there's a real temptation there. Well, we tend toward, and we in the Missouri Senate, I think, tend toward triumphalism, mm -hmm. you know, to, to do exactly that, to just, you know, sort of assert our ourselves and our identity. Um, you know, emphasizing Lutheran identity is one thing, but to be sort of crowing like a, you know, like a bird over the whole thing. Right. Do you use uh, what? What kind of what? I mean, one of the things I love about Reformation is the hymns. Yeah. Oh yeah, and the music. Definitely, definitely. Well, I mean, and you're going to and you're going to get some standards. Probably a mighty fortress is really the standard. Um, in in many respects, you're going to get Lord keep us steadfast in Your Word. You're going to, um, and there's some others. I try to use either um, salvation unto us has come. Or dear Christians, one and all rejoice. And kind of both of those are kind of long hymns, so sometimes they're a little tricky to to work into a service for that reason. But both of them do something that is remarkable that, that's remarkable and is tremendously important, and that is that they tell the story. 
They tell the story. Yeah, of, I love them. I, yeah, of sin and salvation. Of and and you know, one's penned by Luther, the other is not, but is um, but is really inspired by Luther, for lack of a better term. And uh, and those put the emphasis on Christ and His saving work in a way that that is easily is easily overlooked. So yeah. So I'm curious on logistics because I do the same. I've done the same thing. What when you come up with a hymn that's eight or not eight or ten stanzas long, and you can't really omit stanzas because it's telling a narrative, right? What um, do you just sing it? Do you just plow through it, or do you break it up in some way Sometimes in a service? We plow through it. I try to break it up either either try to have the choir sing a verse or two or soloist. Sometimes I'll do a uh, before and after the sermon thing. Um, that, that mm-hmm. works pretty well. Um, occasionally there'll be a, you know, beginning a service, ending a service thing, although that's more difficult because if it's too spread out, then once again, you lose the narrative and you might as well just be singing two separate hymns. So, yeah. Yeah. Now this, yeah. this past yeah. weekend, I'm going to talk about the sermon a little later, but this past weekend we had, um, we did divine service five. Which is a uh, kind of a version of of Luther's uh, Deutsche Messe. Um, so we did a couple of the Luther hymns: Isaiah, Mighty Seer, um, Kyrie, Godfather from Heaven Above. We did a couple of the Luther hymns that are a little less familiar to many Lutheran churches today, and and that I greatly appreciated. And and kind of, I don't know. We should talk about. Uh, we should talk about liturgy and and uh, how many orders of services to use at some point because I think that could be an interesting discussion but um, that's a good point but I do uh, I, I do really appreciate doing doing that uh, occasionally so that was a lot of fun we had our children's choir sing and adult choir and kind of all sorts of fun stuff it was a good time nice yeah good 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 shall we uh, move on my friend Sure. All right. Let's well, just to uh, segue us into our uh, what's bringing joy, uh, my uh, what's bringing joy for this past weekend was a, a mutual friend of ours, Pastor Brian Hamer. Pastor Hamer, it's really Reverend Lieutenant Brian Hamer. He is a uh, a naval chaplain now, stationed at Lemoore Naval Base in uh, in Central California. He just got there a couple, three months ago. And I had Pastor Hamer and his family up for the weekend and he and he preached for for us on Reformation. And then he did a special Bible class on military chaplaincy. He's a military chaplain. And that was really a lot of fun. First of all, it was a lot of fun because it basically meant that I got the day off. I did the liturgy. Nice. But uh, but he preached, nice. he did Bible class and um and really did a great job. It's uh uh, really was 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 very very enjoyable, and I know that the congregation really appreciated it. Um, Brian's sermon was on uh, he called them the two the two songs of the Reformation: the song of justification and the song and the song of the sacrament. Um, so kind of talked first off on the justification language, but then also talked about the Marburn Colloquy and the real presence of, of our Lord in the Supper and how these were the two, the two things that kind of made up the Lutheran church in the, in the 16th century. It was really, it was a good sermon. It was very good. And, uh, and I enjoyed that, enjoyed that very much. So that's, uh, that's kind of been my joy bringer is that I got to work less and uh, hang out with a with a good friend and his family this past weekend. 
That's awesome. Yeah, what's bringing That's you awesome. joy, my friend? Well, okay, so my joy bringer, and a couple of weeks ago I mentioned a, a journal or a magazine that I've recently resubscribed to. I think it was Christian Research, uh, Research Journal. Yep. And I've got another one I'm going to recommend, another magazine that is theological in orientation. A lot of our listeners produces another magazine. It's a quarterly called Salvo, S-A-L-V-O. Have you heard of this one? I haven't. Tell me about it. Salvo. Okay. Salvo magazine is what Touchstone would be if you were targeting it for 20 somethings. It's, 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 it's full color. It's got shorter articles. It's got lots of pullout blurbs and text boxes. It's, you know, very visually interesting. It's got a lot more humor in it. it they, they, they're, they're one of their trademarks is they run fake ads, <laughs> you know, so they'll have, you know, the, the, um, well, I won't give you any examples. It won't be funny if I try to describe them, but they have fake ads and then, and then, but they deal with the same kinds of subjects, current events, trends in the church from a traditionalist Christian perspective. Hmm. And it's, uh, it, they, but they do, they'll do more like movie reviews and popular culture examination than Touchstone does. Interesting. So it's, it's kind of like Touchstone, but it's oriented, I think, up towards a little younger audience or a little, um, maybe less of serious audience. And, and, and it's really, really well done. It's only quarterly, but, um, you know, just as much as I like touching Salvo, it's a very good magazine to be aware of. Cool. Well, that's a great, that's a great pick. Yeah. I don't think I have ever seen that. So, uh, so we will have, uh, I will look forward to checking that out and we will have, uh, links to all of these things in the show notes. And I, uh, I hope you will take a moment to take a look at that. Also, uh, also take a moment to put a few bucks in our tip jar. If you can, you can go to our website and do that, thecruxofthematter.net. Um, this goes to paying for server costs and, and that sort of stuff. It doesn't cost us a, a, a boatload of money, but it definitely costs a little bit. And if you're able to help with that, we would sure appreciate that very much. So you got anything uh anything else for us today my friend? No, that's uh, I think we've covered everything there is to cover today. Everything that there is to cover. And so uh with that fine note, I will uh bid all of you adieu and say happy reformation. <laughs> Take care. <laughs>